Well, this morning we come to the end of our journey through Philippians, and we will see today as we look at these closing words and these final greetings that we have basically come full circle. We are not actually at the end at all, but in many ways, this morning we're back at the beginning. Once again, we're back as a congregation to first things first. The themes that run through these closing words that Paul wrote, the the themes that he included in his final greetings to the church are the same themes that ran through the opening words when we looked at them on October 2nd. And they're the same themes that undergird the whole letter. This morning, as we open God's word one last time to Philippians, we hear the themes of the gospel that the Apostle Paul wanted to resound through the early church. And these are the same themes of the gospel that God wants to resound through Truro Church. So that as they resound through these walls and as they resound in these pews, these themes will also resound and undergird our whole life. We must never move on from the gospel. We must never take our eyes off of Jesus. We go deeper, deeper into the gospel, deeper into Jesus, keeping our eyes on him. We never come to the end of the glorious riches that are ours in Christ. We never even begin to exhaust them Just when we think we may have grasped who he is, or just when we begin to think we may have grasped who we are in him, we realize we haven't even scratched the surface. If there's one thing that we as a church are to take away from this letter, it's this. Never move on from Jesus. Never take your eyes off of him. Hold fast to the gospel. And so this morning, before we turn the page as a church from this precious book of Philippians to other precious books, we're given yet another opportunity to return to first things first, full circle. A few years ago, my youngest daughter and I, Callie, began reading through C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia. And we read through all the books at least twice, some of them three times, and the, one of the books we loved the most was The Silver Chair. I won't ruin the plot for you if you've not read it, but it basically revolves around an adventure that Aslan, the great lion, sends a young man and a young woman on to set a young prince free. There's a young prince who has been uh, held by a captor, put under a curse of darkness, and Aslan sends this young man, young woman, to set the young prince free. And in the beginning of the book, the young woman is having a face-to-face conversation with Aslan, the lion. And as this conversation takes place, they're in Aslan's country, his territory. uh, And far above all the chaos and all the noise that's down below in Narnia. And just before Aslan sends the girl off on her journey, he gives her four pieces of instruction. He calls them signs, uh, who she's going to see what they'll need to do, where she's going to go. And even he gets specific about some specific writing, handwriting they're supposed to look for. 
And after Aslan tells the girl all these important instructions, he has her repeat them back to him several times. He has her repeat them back, not so she just gets them right, but so that she can't get them wrong. And he gives her a charge. This is what Aslan says to her before he, just before he sends her off on her adventure. Aslan says, remember, remember, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake in the morning and when you lie down at night and when you wake in the middle of the night. And whatever strange things may happen to you, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. I give you a warning. Here on the mountain, I have spoken to you clearly. I will not often do so in Narnia. Here on the mountain, the air is clear and your mind is clear. But as you drop down into Narnia, the air will thicken. Take great care that it does not confuse your mind. Far too often, we forget to remember. We forget to repeat back to ourselves the instructions that our great lion has given us. They may be clear at one point in our minds as well, but over time, the air thickens and our minds grow confused. This happens to Christians. This happens to churches. This happens to entire denominations. We have got to stay clear on the gospel. We have got to stay focused on Jesus because there is a world full of people who need to be set free from their captor. There is a world full of people still under the curse of darkness. So brothers and sisters, Truro, We have got to stay clear. We have got to remember to remember. So to help us do that, we're going to do two things today. First, we'll return to the same themes of the gospel that ring out over us when we started this journey back in October. And second, before we turn the page, I'd like to give you a charge as as a congregation, as your pastor. So let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 14. In your pew Bibles, you can find this, I'm 99% sure, on page 982. We come full circle, first seeing here in Philippians chapter 4 what the gospel produces. Here it is again, what the gospel produces. Verse 14, Paul writes, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel... When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. We see this here, that Paul loved them and they loved him back. Paul was concerned for them. They were concerned for him back. Paul had been generous with them. He had sent them his best. He had sent them Timothy, or at least wanted to soon, and Epaphroditus, his best. And he had been generous with them and they had been generous back. There was a a mutual love and affection and concern in the church, and it was all a product of their mutual belonging to Jesus. It was all a product of their mutual being filled with the spirit of Jesus. Something was on display there in Philippi that can absolutely be on display here in Fairfax, and it's the gospel It's it's the good news of the love of Jesus Christ on display through the love of the church. 
the good news of the affection of Jesus Christ on display in the affection of the church. It's all the good news about the things we have been secured vertically in Christ on display horizontally in the church. There's the vertical element of it where it's produced. There's the horizontal element of it where it's spread. And Paul is celebrating that this is happening in the church. The gospel is on display horizontally. It's not just a a proclamation with words. The gospel is not just a proclamation with words. It is the very power of God at work in his church. It's words, yes, but it's tangible also. The doctor says to you the good news. It's a boy. It's good news with words. And then you hold the baby in your arms. It's tangible. And here's Paul in prison celebrating that this is true in the Philippian church. The gospel is, yes, praise God, being proclaimed verbally, but the gospel is also being displayed and and proclaimed and lived out spiritually, relationally. It's being felt tangibly. They're holding it in their arms. Back in our very first week in Philippians, we saw how the gospel had produced grace and peace in the church. There was something present there in that church that was not there thanks to them. They had not produced it. Jesus had produced it. If you wanted to, you could flip back to chapter 1, verse 2, where Paul greets them by saying, Grace to you and peace from where? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. It's not just a throwaway greeting. It's a massive theological statement. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, where it comes from. That's what the gospel produces, praise God. And then through every chapter we've seen, and here at the end we see, he marvels at how these characteristics of grace and peace and love and affection and generosity and concern were on display in the church. This is a result, again, I want to underscore this, a result of several things, as a result of the spirit of Jesus at work in the church. Jesus himself, though we cannot see him, Jesus himself is at work in his church by his spirit. Praise God. It's also a result of the example of Jesus. Yes, the spirit of Jesus, but also the example of Jesus. Paul told us this in uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. His spirit and his example. Grace and peace produced by the gospel of Jesus worked in us and through us by the spirit of Jesus, pointing us to the example of Jesus, linking us arm in arm with one another as we strain forward after Jesus for the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus, full circle. And that's why Paul ends his letter here in much the same way he began it. He's praising God for what God has produced in the church. He's grateful for the Philippians' support, yes, but he's much more grateful that their support is produced by Jesus. We have to remember this. Remember, remember, not forget it. Repeat it to ourselves. God will produce in us what he wants to see from us. It's always a gift. It's never a work. That is why Paul could write, In chapter 1, verse 6, I am sure of this. What am I sure of? That he 
who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He begins it. He completes it. That means he produces it. (laughs) Chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, we're told, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. How? For it is God who works in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. We all, I assume, would like to grow in Christ. And we all, I assume, would like to see Truro grow in Christ. So keep our eyes on Jesus. Plant our feet firmly in him. Surrender to his spirit. And God will complete the work he began. We can take it to the bank. And then just like Paul, we can delight in what God has done. That's the first theme we see here, and we've seen it over and over and over again. What the gospel produces. The second theme we see here at the end is gospel partnership. Again and again and again. Gospel partnership. They're separated by distance, but they are united by and united in Jesus. Paul writes in verse 17, Not that I seek the gift. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm not thanking you because I want your money. I'm thanking you because I want your ministry to thrive. Culturally, if in that day, if Paul had just said, thank you for your monetary assistance, that would have been taken by the Philippians as a, a subtle sign that he wanted more. <laughs> he would have been basically saying, keep it coming. Uh, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Keep it coming. He's not saying that here. He's saying, thank you. Praise God for you. I'm grateful for your support, yes, but I'm more grateful that you get the gospel. So I hope your fruit increases, this mutual partnership. More of that kind of partnership language in verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Partnership. We're coming up here in the next week or so on the three-year anniversary of when everything shut down. Remember that? Mid-March 2020. And here at Truro, just like most other churches, we went totally virtual for a long time. And there were months when a very small team of us here would come in on Sunday mornings. We would turn the lights on, turn the sound system on, and have an entire worship service in an empty sanctuary. We would live stream it onto YouTube with nobody in the room. Just a few musicians, a few clergy, our wonderful tech team. Thank you, Robbie. (laughs) Chip, all you other guys. It was eerily empty. And it felt empty. We'd pray, it felt empty. We'd rehearse, it felt empty in here. It felt wrong. But then we'd go live. We'd press the button. We'd all wait and pray that it would work. And we'd go live, and then something supernatural would happen every time. When we went live and we started singing, this room didn't feel empty anymore. It was was supernatural. Many of you shared this as well, that you felt joined in. I felt joined in. I couldn't see you. You were sitting there on your couch, maybe in your pajamas, I don't know. Um, We were here... And yet we were, we were knit together by something. What were we knit together by? The gospel, by the spirit, separated by distance, but partners in the gospel. And all throughout Philippians, Paul keeps hammering at this. 
We are partners with one another. So we prayed earlier in chapter 1, verse 9. Since we're partners, I pray that your love may abound more and more. We're going to need it. (laughs) He knows it. We're going to need that love to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Encourages them in chapter 2, verse 5. Since we're partners, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And in verse 14, since we're partners, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And remember at the end of chapter 3, since we're partners, he says, imitate one another as you strain forward towards Jesus. This is gospel partnership. You know, we use the word members a lot here as a church, and that's perfectly biblical. Harkens to many places in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, we're called members of the body of Christ. We're members. You're a member. I'd love for you to become a member if you're not a member. We're members. But maybe once in a while to switch it up a little bit, to kind of freshen up our understanding of what this means, we could use the word partner. We're partners in the gospel. You're a partner in the gospel with me. I'm a partner in the gospel with you. We're partners. And there's a general exhortation towards this all throughout the book of Philippians, every chapter. But also, let's not forget, there's also some specific entreating that goes on. If you were here when we looked at chapter 4, verse 2, Paul entreats two prominent women in the church, Eodia and Syntyche, to, quote, agree in the Lord. This gospel is seriously good news, and so there is a serious call within this letter. We've heard it, and we need to remember, remember, remember it, both for the Philippian church and for Truro church, to agree in the Lord. We are members of the church, sure, praise God, members of the body of Christ, but we're also partners in the gospel. There is something greater and deeper that unites us, and it's the person of Jesus himself. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 that Jesus breaks down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And how can he do that? It's because he makes peace and because he is our peace. And so in him there is the peace. There is the peace in him, the peace that passes all understanding become partners with one another. The final theme we see here at the end of the letter, and again all throughout it, is the theme of being preserved by the gospel. Just one verse to highlight this, if you look at uh, chapter 4, verse 19 with me. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. All the treasures of God, all of them, All of his riches, all of his blessings, all of his benefits are located in and appropriated to us through Jesus Christ. By the way, this is why at the end of our service, when the priest pronounces the blessing, he or she pronounces God's blessing with the sign of the cross. Because the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, All of his blessing, all of it, is pronounced upon us by way of the cross and located for us specifically in Christ. It's not coming from my hand. I don't do this. The blessing, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But more specifically, to make it even sharper, the blessing comes by way of the cross. Some of you have the tradition of of doing this when that blessing is pronounced. There's nothing superstitious about it. Uh, it's a reminder, it's a way of saying that blessing for me, all of it, every last drop of that blessing 
is secured for me in Christ. In Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich by him. It's in him. Colossians 2, 2 and 3. Paul prays for the church that their hearts would be encouraged, knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. It's mind-blowing. Paul says that. Scripture teaches this. All the riches of full assurance and understanding, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden what? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Ephesians 1.18, Paul prays for the church that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened or opened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You and I have been made rich in Christ. We have everything we need in him. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. We have everything we need in him and more. And Paul reminds the Philippian church of this and us of this from beginning to end, full circle. That's how he greeted them in the very first verse of the very first chapter. Chapter one, verse one of Philippians, he addressed them as, quote, all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. It's interesting. Again, not a throwaway. Massive implications here. Their physical location was Philippi. Our physical location is Fairfax. But their and our spiritual location is in Christ Jesus. When you belong to Jesus, when you've been adopted by the Father through Christ, you are always in two places at one time. You're sitting here right now, but you're in Christ. You're going to be at your desk tomorrow or at the doctor tomorrow or in a classroom tomorrow or on the metro tomorrow or on a plane tomorrow. That's where you will be physically, but spiritually you are in Christ. Chapter 4, 21, here at the end, how does he address them again? Greet every saint where? In Christ Jesus. Incidentally, I love how he just drops a bombshell here at the end. We don't have time for it today. He could have written another book on this saying that there were now even saints, quote, in Caesar's household. The very upper echelons of power, the gospel had advanced. That now there were even those in Caesar's household who were also in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Our anchor holds within the veil. Paul is saying we are located in Christ. And what do we find in Christ? Chapter 4, verse 19 Riches of God's glory that supply all of our needs. All of the world is blessed generally. Jesus said in Matthew 5.45 that God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain, or if you're in California, 19 feet of snow on the just and on the unjust. The whole world is blessed generally. It's common grace. But the believer has been adopted into God's family and is blessed specifically in Christ with every spiritual blessing. We are preserved by the gospel. 
three recurring themes resounding throughout this letter and undergirding every verse, the same three themes that ought to resound through this church and undergird our life together. The gospel produces, the gospel makes us partners, the gospel preserves us. And for what purpose? To what end? For the glory of God. It would be quite possible, tragic, but possible to pursue all these things, to see them happen in our hearts or here at Truro, and to get prideful about it. We see ourselves growing, or we see Truro growing, and we think, well done, us. We turned the corner. We pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps, and we did it. Good job, us. No. Who gets the glory in our story? Verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's say that verse together. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. We sang it earlier. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Lord, protect this church from ever getting prideful about this church. That as we see God produce work in us and begin work in us and complete work in us, he gets the glory. Amen? Amen. Forever and ever, literally into the ages of the ages is what Paul is saying. Forever and ever, amen. There's, a, there's biblical uh, admonition here to say amen in church. I love it when people say amen in church or amen even if you want to. You can say however you want to. We sang it earlier. Let the amen sound from his people. Again, we're saying we agree this is true. I believe this is true. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. So let that amen sound from this church if we believe this gospel is good news. Amen? amen. Let it sound from this church if we believe this gospel will prevail. Amen? amen? Let it sound from this church if we believe this gospel is the hope of the world. Amen? amen. So this leads me to my charge to you as a congregation, as your pastor here at the end of the book of Philippians. So I'd like to ask you to stand, please, if you're able. <clears throat> Members and partners of Truro Anglican Church, in the name of God, I charge you, stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never depart from this precious gospel. Never subtract from it. Never add to it. Never grow tired of it. Never move on from it. Go deeper into the glories and mysteries of this good news and find life in it. Stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second, agree in the Lord. Never allow your differences or disagreements to obscure your view of the most excellent, the most beautiful, the most wonderful Jesus Christ. Love one another as Christ loved you and gave himself up for you. Love one another with that same sacrificial love. Agree in the Lord. Third, set your gaze forward. Forget all that lies behind. Count it all as rubbish. Count it all as loss. Fix your eyes on Jesus and strain forward towards him that you might gain him and him alone. Hold fast to what you have attained 
Put your feet upon the feet of your father and let him work his dance in you. Set your gaze forward. And finally, don't forget to remember. Remember, remember, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake up in the morning and when you lie down at night and when you wake up in the middle of the night. And whatever strange things may happen to you, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. Don't forget to remember. First things first. We come full circle. And just as this letter began with grace, that's where it ends. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And as good Anglicans, you might know an appropriate way to respond to that. So let me say it again. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. You could also say, and with your spirit. <laughs> Let's try it one more time. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray.